Hello everyone. Welcome to Clarity, a bi-monthly podcast designed as a safe space for conversations. I'm your host Janvi Gurja, a curious people observer, an executive coach and co-founder of Vital Signs Advisory. Through my podcast Clarity, I explore the journeys of remarkable people who've traversed through the ups and downs of what life presents to them. It's not about the outcomes that piqued my curiosity, but a deep-seated desire to map the interplay of dynamic patterns on their behaviors and habits as they continue to evolve and modify their worldview. On today's episode titled Rhythm of Success, I have with me the diva, the danseuse par excellence, and the woman who's enthralled the world with her creativity. Allow me to introduce Rukmini Vijay Kumar, an accomplished Bharatanatyam dancer, choreographer, and actor who has wowed audiences with her extraordinary talent. Welcome to Clarity Rukmini and thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for having me Janavi. Wonderful. It's beautiful to see you here. Let me tell you a little about Rukmini. She has performed extensively both in India and internationally, captivating audiences with her dynamic and emotive dance performances. Renowned for her technical precision, graceful movements and ability to bring depth and emotion to her performances, her dance style seamlessly blends tradition with contemporary elements, showcasing her artistic versatility and innovative approaches. She is the artistic director of Radha Kalpa Dance Company and also the director of Lashwa, an art space located in Bangalore. It's an absolute pleasure, Rukmini, to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm going to start with a, a, a very simple question. And uh, what interests me is the fact that most um, performers and, say, athletes uh, possibly have some kind of a ritual or a superstition. So, for example, I've heard that Virat Kohli insists on uh, uh, wearing white shoes before a big game. You know, but that brings him good luck. So do you have any such superstition before you go on stage, Rukmini? Mm, I don't actually. I think I mm, I used to when I was younger. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I let go of all of it slowly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now I just warm up and enjoy myself. Okay. So you, you don't have some kind of, uh, uh, you know, a practice where you say, okay, I'm just going to uh, run up and down the stairs five times or uh, I'm going to listen to my favorite song or I'm going to pray or, or I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. So you don't have any such superstitions before you go on stage. No, I don't. That's so liberating, isn't it? That yeah. you are not pulled down by some kind of a must-do ritual. Yeah, I think that... Um it is liberating because earlier I would need to have this amount of quiet time. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't get it, I, it would make me anxious, mm-hmm. especially in my uh, 20s. And over the last 10 years, I've I've been able to let go of that because backstage is quite manic many times. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to just... Find your inner quiet despite anything that's going on. So I end up conversing with the musicians or doing a jiggle or laughing or something. And when the music starts, everything everything shuts out, so it's completely fine. 
So those conversations with the backstage, with the musicians or the, you know, the troupe helps you to find your inner calm. Not really. I can also not talk to them and I'll be calm. Wonderful. Wonderful. And and that you said in your 20s, you needed the quiet. And as we stand today, you've been able to find that quiet by yourself. Okay. So could you share with our listeners, what was that transition through which you were able to gain control by yourself? I think there are two things. One is practicing so much that it just becomes second nature. Um, so you know the music really well, you know the your form, you can receive quickly and mm-hmm. you can respond quickly because you it just becomes like a part of you like like now Bharatanatyam is like breathing for me like I can do it anytime and um, I can respond easily with with Bharatanatyam in any situation um, the second thing is knowing that everything is not in our control mm-hmm. and it's totally fine because sometimes I've had a projector fall down in one show. Mm-hmm. I've had a dog come up on stage when we were dancing outdoor ones. Um, sometimes some kid will cry like in the second row when you're in the most emotional, quiet mm-hmm. piece. So these things are beyond our control. And there's no point getting upset over it or agitated over it because... I've done my bit and the rest is <laughs> whatever, you know. So I think that once you realize that, it becomes easier to just submit and enjoy the art. And the way I'm experiencing you right now as I'm listening to you is that there's a lot of power in letting go. Yeah. Right? Definitely. Right? A lot yeah. of power, a lot of semblance in letting go, which is letting you focus on what matters most to you, the performance, the art. Yeah. Right? So I'm going to go back a little into um, your early childhood. When did you first discover your passion for dance? I think I always liked moving. Mm-hmm. So... Anything that anybody did, I wanted to copy. Mm-hmm. So I remember teaching myself cartwheels or just figuring out how to stand on my head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember like trying to do tumbling. There was this small kid, small girl in my class when I was in first grade or something and she did a split and I was like, wow, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. So it was something that I just wanted to move or learn to work with my body. And I think that manifested in Bharatanatyam eventually. I forced my parents to take me to gymnastics mm-hmm. and they saw the facilities at that time in India and they weren't great. And I think my dad was like, you're going to get injured, I think. We'll, mm-hmm. you know, we'll, we'll look at this another time. Um, and my mother used to go to dance class and I begged to take me, begged for mm-hmm. her to take me mm-hmm. with her. So she did. And then after that, there was no looking back, I guess. 
And at that point, who really was um, significant in influencing um, your practice and your dedication to dance? I think it was both my parents, mm-hmm. because my dad was a sports person. Mm-hmm. Um, he used to wake up at 5.15 every day. And for 70 years of his life, I think he just woke up and went bicycling, running, went to the gym and would play badminton okay, or racket sports. My mom, because she was a culture fiend, mm-hmm. and she still is, and she um, she ingrained this reverence and love and respect for classical music and dance and arts at large. Mm-hmm. So I think the the dedication and grit, especially to work with my body, must have come from my dad. And the element for... Um, this reverence for my culture mm-hmm. and Bharatnatyam came from my mom. How beautiful is it uh, when you render this kind of gratitude to your parents and the way you're able to separate the two, um, the space between the mind and the space between the body and how well they've converged into creativity, into the identity that you represent today. So at that point, Rukmini, uh, let's assume as a seven or an eight-year-old young dancer, you know, um, eager to get on stage and eager to enjoy the dance form. Describe a little of what type of a person were you, in addition to being excited and uh, inspired? Obsessive. Okay. And <laughs> um, I think I'm still described as obsessive. Um, obsessive I- about what? Anything that I do. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely anything. Like, if I want to do something, I just want to do it right. Um, and do it to the best of my ability, you know? Like, so, I think dance is what caught me. Mm-hmm. And so I was obsessive. So if I did... Anything, I would just repeat it, repeat it um, hundreds of times. And uh, I mean, I did have a time in my teenage years where I really didn't want to go to dance class. When was that and what happened then? I think it was the environment, the fact that my brother was playing outside, um, the environment in my dance class, like I would... I would end up waiting a lot instead of dancing. So all those things irked me. Like, and I was very, like, I was there five hours. I want to dance five hours, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but once my mom understood that and my parents decided to, like, uh, change my teachers mm-hmm. at that point, um, I was, I was ecstatic, basically, like, because that my uh, Sundriyaka would poke mm-hmm. and prod. And if I came like one minute late, she'd mm-hmm. be like, one minute. I'd be like, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, and I spent a few years after high school just dancing because mm-hmm. I was a year too young to go to college. Mm-hmm. And so for three years, I would just go from 
Sundriyaka's house. I mean, she was one of my Bharatanatyam teachers to Narmada aunty's house. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would go to ballet class. I would go to yoga class early in the morning. I would come back home and I would repeat everything that I learned that day. Like wow, that like, is what um, you call it obsessive. I call it as commitment and perseverance and uh, devotion. Yeah, I if I look back I don't know how I did it but I remember sometimes falling asleep in the studio like in my dance clothes and then I'll like wake up and be like oh it's 12 and be like oh I have a little bit more to finish and then I'll finish it and then go to sleep. You must have had temptations, right? I mean, as a young girl, teenager, you did at one point contemplate that whether it's for me or not for me and you continue to dance as a young teenager. and the fact that you say that you would get exhausted and fall asleep and then wake up again so you practically lived lived and breathed dance correct yeah there must have been other temptations what held you back from taking roads not connected with dance i actually don't think i aspired to be a dancer full full time actually i was a very uh, nerdy kid Mm-hmm. and i i loved science so i did like pcmb and it was my dream to drop history and um this social sciences mm-hmm. so i could just do you know math and physics and biology so in the 11th i was mm, doing that but then after my 12th even when I was in my 11th and 12th my I used to dance a lot mm-hmm. like those college competitions and I would go to dance class a lot and everything and I think my parents recognized it in me more than myself mm-hmm. and so when it was done I I applied and I got into Carnegie Mellon and I said I'm going to go and do architecture and my parents said you can't go now you're 17 do whatever you want for one year so i i danced the mm-hmm. whole day morning to night like this going from class to class and then i danced for another year and then i danced for another year and then i said i'm just going to apply to dance college now and where did you go i went to the boston conservatory and you immersed yourself in dance there yeah do you ever regret that decision no No. So the STEM um you know sector missed having you there as another scientist as a top-notch engineer or as a you know a technocrat but here we are with you in your best form as a multidimensional and a multi-accomplished dancer. Wonderful. Wonderful. So so Rukmini today as we speak I'm sure you are on a world tour you're you know going away to several places and your performances and your calendar is chock-a-block full. right we waited about close to 4 months to get you here today to have a chat with us so absolutely so that just shows how busy and how good you are tell me what's on the cards next as you go forward what's for you and uh, your team mm, this year i have a lot of touring and performances happening like everywhere like next month i'm in europe and then australia and then uh i'm in the us a lot from august onwards so i'm touring a new um 
collaboration in August, September, and October with um, Ambi Subramaniam mm-hmm. um, in the US. And we're also, in between that, we're touring my ensemble work, uh, The Goddess, yeah. with my dance company. That's within India. Mm-hmm. Um, the Europe and Australia, I'm touring my two other productions, Ishwara and Krishna. Mm-hmm. And I'm also, I also have some performances in India with that. So this year is filled with performances right now. Mm-hmm. Um, creatively, there's a lot going on in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it'll get onto my body and onto the stage by mid next year. Wonderful, wonderful. And where can one find information about your tours and about your dance performances? Um, I usually put everything up on my Instagram page. Mm-hmm. And um, there's always more information on my website, dancerukmini.com. So everything is dancerukmini if anyone wants to find out. Fantastic. So, listeners, I'm going to go away for a short break, but before we rejoin again, just like you in the break to look up dancerukmini.com and you're going to find loads of information about Rukmini and her upcoming performances. Welcome back. I'm in conversation with Rukmini Vijay Kumar, the diva, the dancer's par excellence and a woman of great talent and great inspiration. Welcome back, Rukmini. Thank you. Just before we went on the break, Rukmini was sharing with us about her world tour and her chock-a-block calendar. Don't forget to look her up on dancerukmini.com, her website which has all the information about her upcoming tours and her previous performances. So Rukmini, I'm sure on your social media sites and on your website, there's a lot of information about your performances. But as a social psychologist, I am curious to understand, how do you treat a bad day? Mm. I had a bad day a few days ago. And I don't even know why. That's the funniest thing about bad days. And sometimes I sit down and I try to analyze why I'm thinking I'm having a bad day. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, it's actually not so bad. And then I go and do some yoga. Okay. And usually by the end of an hour of yoga or just some quiet, the day doesn't seem so bad. What does a bad day look like? just so that I get a little more clarity? I think sometimes I get um, a little frustrated if I have a plan for dancing and rehearsals mm-hmm. and I end up having to do administrative work instead of that. You're telling me. Oh, it is, I think, by far one of the most frustrating moments and I can just share with you I feel as frustrated if I have to get caught up in administrative tasks that takes me away from meeting people and uh, talking to people and exploring minds. So I'm with you. I I hear you and I feel your (laughs) frustration in this. So 
I, it used to be a lot worse. Like you couldn't even come near me because I'll be snappy and rude in my 20s. Now I'm not snappy or rude. I just acknowledge and I'm like, I'll practice tomorrow. You'll practice tomorrow. Okay. So so this, um, what I'm understanding over here is that this is really a big shift. Okay. And I'm sure there are many people out there struggling to make this shift. For instance, there are days that I wake up and I tell myself, today I am going to be very responsive and I'm not going to, um, you know, get stimulated or get set up by some negative trigger. And maybe I last about four hours before I get set up by the smallest, easiest trigger. So help me to make a better version of myself with your example, Rukmini. <laughs> I'm still trying. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that, especially in the last three, four years, I've been trying to um, stay quiet mm-hmm. when I'm going to say something wrong. Then it gives me time to think, not the count to ten or anything, just blanket, stay quiet. like Silence. Yeah, like don't even respond. And then if I wait for a day, then I usually am able to respond in a better way. But tell me, when you do that, there are people around you who may not understand what you are trying to do. So has there been an incident or some kind of a situation where the others have misunderstood your need to process silently? Mm. I just... I think I've said like, okay, let me get back to you or I'll think about it. Because I think that sometimes we get in our own way. Mm-hmm. Um, like often, like what I've started doing is, what is it that I want? I don't want to break a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to have an argument. Okay. I don't want to make anyone feel bad Mm -hmm. or upset. But I want to communicate that this particular thing didn't work out. And how are you doing that? So sometimes I just try not to do any personal remarks, accusatory things, which we often resort to Mm -hmm. uh, when when things don't go the way that we want. Mm -hmm. So... Even if it goes in my head, I, I reserve that. I, I don't say it. And I try to say it very nicely. Sometimes there's no way you can convince another person or trying. Because I think that very often a younger me would want the other person to understand my perspective. Mm-hmm. But sometimes people are never going to understand your perspective. And that's completely okay. And at what point do you realize that there's no point in going ahead with this conversation because the other person is never going to understand. It's it's very important, I think, uh, to know when to exit. So what's that cue for you? For me, I think it's when their receptors are off. Such as? Like, like for example, I don't know how to um, explain. So let's say that I'm talking about how 
dancing in India is easier than dancing in New York City, for example. It's just, mm-hmm. uh, I've never had an argument with anyone about this, but I'm just mm-hmm. giving an example. So, and then I say, it's much easier in India because, you know, people can rent an auditorium and they can get up on stage, even if they're amateurs. And in New York, you just can't do that because the insurance, there's liabilities. There's a lot of curation in every mm-hmm. forum. They'll be like, no, but it's really hard in classical Indian dance. And then they already have their mindset in a particular way. Mm-hmm. And there's no way that they're actually listening to my reasoning. Mm-hmm. And it's no longer a conversation. Then I just, then I just like, oh, okay, yeah, I get what you're saying. And I just close. Which, which brings me to the point to acknowledge the equanimity with which you're living your life. And you have shared previously that it wasn't so earlier. And over the years of a lot of self-work, reflection and realization, you've been able to achieve a reasonable equanimity through the day. How has this impacted your performances? I think I have a lot more fun. Wonderful. A lot more fun. And um, would I also be right if I said a lot more creative? Um. Yeah, I think so, because I'm not as, um, but that not necessarily, because usually when I'm dancing mm-hmm. and I'm submitted to the dance, I I end up never judging myself. But yes, also to what you said, because if there's a mistake that happens on stage, um, I mean, I receive that mistake and I just enjoy it now. I, I really don't, it really doesn't throw me off anymore. You know, it's very interesting how you use the word submission. Um, it takes a lot of um, understanding. In other words, submission means um, stepping away from control, allowing things which are bigger than you to take over and to participate in it wholeheartedly, which is what I'm, you know, hearing you say, the consumption of these experiences for you today are so vivid, are so complete, that you have no regrets about these experiences. No, right? I don't. Yeah. Which, which I'm sure is very inspiring to many of the people who follow you and the people who watch you and fans of yours across the world, because this when, when I have seen some of your dance performances, Rukmini, I see that this translates and, and I've seen you. You are in the flow. So the goddess uh, performance that very recently I, I saw the dance performance and I see that you're absolutely in the flow and there's no nothing stopping you, not the, uh, the difficult terrain, not the temperatures, nothing stops you. You're in the zone, right? Yeah. And, and how often... Um, are you in the zone and how often do you get off the zone? Mm, I think it's transitioned over the years Mm -hmm. for me to be more and more in the zone every performance. Mm -hmm. And it's about, like, let's say I'm on stage, things that will throw me off the zone, like, for example, is like if... um, if the rhythm completely messes up, mm-hmm. like one of the musicians completely like forgets something, or if um, 
the light designer, like one of the artists on stage, whether it's a light designer, a musician or someone else, forget their cue or do something completely different than what mm-hmm. is meant to be done. Or if there's some really big distraction in the audience, like the cameraman decides to climb up the stairs and stand in front of my face mm-hmm. while I'm while I'm emoting. So or lots of people are flashing. Things like that would easily throw me out mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Now, at least within the scope of my artists, mm-hmm. I feel com- comfortable receiving whatever they have to give me. Mm-hmm. So it's fine if they forget something. And I feel like it's fine for them if I forget something as well. So it's more, um, there's a lot more camaraderie and joy with my fellow artists on stage as opposed to having a lot more tension about getting it right, which used to be there before. And as far as external factors, it might throw me off like for a second or two, but I don't let it agitate me. So other than that one second, Mm -hmm. it doesn't carry through for the rest of the performance. So... You are in the zone. You acknowledge that some things have gone out of sync unexpectedly. And then you recalibrate yourself very quickly to say, within what is, I'm not going to let this rattle me, but focus on what needs to be done at that point in time. And that, in summation, contributes to your performance being excellent and being brilliant at all times. I wouldn't say it's brilliant all times, but I do my best. Yeah, and I'm sure because you're in the zone, you know, and and this is um, something worth emulating and very inspirational for many people, Rukmini. So I'm going to go back and ask you, Rukmini, there are many, almost 80%, you know, research says that almost 80% of young people have hobbies, passions. They're very excited. Someone wants to be a painter, someone wants to be a chef, and someone wants to be a designer. But somehow, societal pressures, academic curriculums uh, compel them to take mainstream traditional paths. Okay? What would your advice to them be? How does one, like you, you know, take the choice of a less traveled path, stay committed, and excel? I think that whenever people talk about... Um, their passion, like music or dance or anything, it seems very idealistic and surreal, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, Many people don't realize the sacrifices you need to make in order to do that because it's, it was one of the hardest decisions of my life to give up my place in an Ivy League school and go to a dance school because it was suddenly jumping into a dark forest as Mm. opposed to, oh, yes, I know this tunnel. There's light at the end of this tunnel. Predictable. Yeah. And it's clear I would have done well. I'm a good student. I study well. So I would have had a good job and a steady income. But with performing arts, you never know what's going to come your way. Mm -hmm. The only thing that you can do, especially as an artist, is keep your head down and keep working. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's the only thing that's in your control. And everything else is in some way like an offering. And whatever is offered 
you accept and you just keep moving forward so performing opportunities ended up being offered to me doesn't mean i didn't make an effort yes i sent out applications and everything initially but it could have been that no one wanted me and then i would have had to figure out another way to engage with my art mm mm-hmm. so i think one of the most important things in these in these kind of fields is that you decide to be with the art to be with what you want you do, you can't decide how you want to be with it that's not in your control that's a very very um thought provoking um insight rukmini yeah could you share just a little bit more on that you decide you know to be with the art and you cannot decide how you want to be with the art so here what i'm sensing is this exact balance between passion and control that you explained earlier that you're demonstrating again so just for the benefit of all our listeners could you just elaborate a little more please like for example i'll just cite my own example because it's easiest for me um like say that now people want me to perform and i'm immersed in dance and i can perform and people want to see me on stage maybe 10 years from now when my body doesn't work as well they don't want to see me on stage as much mm-hmm. so that can leave me depressed upset frustrated angsty and annoyed mm-hmm. but to be honest it's not going to matter to me because i'm still going to be happy dancing by myself in the studio mm-hmm. so how i get to be with the art is not up to me in the sense that i want to be with bharatnatyam because i can perform mm-hmm. i want to be with bharatnatyam because i can get so many opportunities to do this and this or because i can choreograph on this i don't know school mm-hmm. because i can do that so i want to be with bharatnatyam that's it i want to be with dance so irrespective of your role you are opening up avenues as to how through life you're able to transition your role but be with the art correct i can be a choreographer i can be a teacher i can end up doing lighting sometime i'm still with dance um i'm open to anything so being in touch with the art being involved in the art and not necessarily rigidly stuck to one role in the art which can Correct. be very stifling right because it's stifling because everyone thinks when they want to be a bharatanatyam dancer for example especially a musician or anything mm-hmm. i want to be that solo performer mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and i don't know how it happens um it may not have happened to me as well mm-hmm. so and if that doesn't happen are you going to stop dancing are you going to stop like your practice your dedication perhaps many of them do it perhaps many of them feel that okay if i'm not the cynosure if i'm not the center of attention then i don't want to be involved in it but then then they don't want dance enough exactly and and that's the whole explanation of i want to be in it and i'm open to the fluidity of the roles that i play and so this is about a lot of maturity the word submission that you used i'm going to bring it back right here you're submitting yourself to the greater dynamic yeah. that is allowing you to be yeah which means that you are like the japanese say the ikigai you know the 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 reason for being 
Yeah. And and I'm sensing over here the vibration of dance is the reason for your being. Yeah, no way. Yeah. 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 So so it's it's very um it's very difficult, right? When you're this famous and when the, when when you're this involved and the word you used obsessive but I would use committed and you enjoy and consume this. How do you not let the fame get to your head? Mm. I think I I realized when a very long time ago that they don't clap for me. Mm-hmm. They clap for my dance. Okay. Okay. And and the me is a part of your personal relationships and the dance is a part of your professional mm, presence. The dance is bigger than me. Mm-hmm. So it's only if I let go of my egotistical rukmini that I can even dance properly. So when did that realization happen? I think it was a process. I remember when I was um younger on stage and then people were appreciating me. I'd feel happy but I'd be like let me never become a horrible person. And I would I I think I would say that every show after every show when people were saying nice things to me. Mhm. And more recently I think I realized I was like it's so funny because I have to forget who I am to be in the dance. Mm-hmm. But then after I finish my performance, everyone's clapping for me. Mm-hmm. But I don't exist in the dance. And and that um delinking which means it comes with a lot of awareness and uh, the presence being in the here and now. and being able to understand the applause is for the performance which is a culmination of multiple things the costume the music the lighting just the ambiance of everyone being there and me being the carrier of that performance Correct. and you're able to keep that as you know both separate so it doesn't bring into you know conflict and make a mess out of your life personally professionally socially yeah otherwise you can end up being very not obsessed with the dance but mm-hmm. self obsessed so here we are we're talking to rukmini vijay kumar a diva a dancer par excellence and a woman who i am getting to know much much uh, better as we uh, talk to her 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 real sense of the world her practice her commitment to dance and above all her authenticity to be able to share that she is human she goes through the same agony same pain but she is able to separate between what she is as an individual and what form she takes as a performer so rukmini i just have one last question before you go and uh, the question's very uh, you know they say that artists um lend their inner personality and and that somehow colors their performance okay so in all your dance forms um i see some of them are renditions to the divine to the cosmic and a lot of it is about very intense expressions okay how is your real personality your own personal qualities aligning 
with your choreography? I think that two separate things, the choreographer and the performer. Mm-hmm. The choreographer, when I'm playing the role of a choreographer, I, I need to use my intellect and I need to be analytical. So I will look at the script and I will revamp it. There are moments where I go into the zone while I'm writing a story as well. Um, but then once the writing is done, I will come with my brain mm -hmm. and I will cross out, take things out, look at it from a, what do you say, technical, analytical perspective in terms of what will work in terms of communicating these ideas mm -hmm. to the audience member. The dancer, on the other hand, is the performer who has to submit to the dance. If I'm playing choreographer while I'm dancing, I dance horribly. Mm -hmm. And I know this from experience because especially when I choreograph an ensemble, the, the first year or two, I would worry about everyone's exit and entry and placement and are they dancing properly? Have they taken the cue? Have this, And I would spend my whole time on stage worrying about everyone being able to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. So I could never dance well. In the last few years, I choreograph and in the studio, I'm there, I'm cutting, I'm, I'm cleaning and everything. But I think especially with The Goddess, with my recent performance, mm -hmm. I started just forgetting about everyone else when I'm on stage. Mm -hmm. And it makes such a big difference because I can, it, it's freeing, it's liberating, and then I'm able, I'm able to separate between being the choreographer and the dancer. And when I'm the dancer, I have to play the dancer. I can, mm -hmm. I'm no longer the choreographer because it's not in my control anymore. Right. I can't stand on stage and yell and say, hey, no, that's not the right position. Um, so it's, it, they're, two, um, they're two separate things. I'm not sure what your question was, sorry. <laughs> My question is your own inherent personality. How does it influence yeah, this? Yeah, influence. And do you see that that's coming out in your dance forms? I think it comes in my choreography for sure because the subjects I choose, what I choose to present, all of that um, comes from my life, my life experiences, um, what moves me, what touches me. As the choreographer, yes, but as the dancer, no. I have to just follow the script. I have to let go of Rukmini. Hmm. Like even when I'm improvising, like let's say, like some performances I improvise with my musicians. Mm -hmm. So none of us know what we're going to do. And I don't think I t ever tell the audience also mm -hmm. when it's improvised. Very rarely I'll tell them. Um, but when we do improvise or when we make up something while on stage, I cannot be thinking about myself about Rukmini at all. Mm -hmm. I have to completely let go of this person for me to experience that imaginative world to the fullest. It's almost... It, the funny thing is when I... Uh, I'll, I'll tell you something about... 
It might sound very strange. There's this one work I was doing, and it was a large work. And in my imaginary sphere, I had so many things. And I had windows, I had people, I had chairs, I had tables, I had trees, and the space kept changing. And I would see all these things, and I would keep moving in and out. And then I watched a video of this performance. Mm -hmm. And I was like, my first reaction was, oh, my God, it's so empty. Um, and I can't, it would have been empty for me on stage if I was Rukmini. Right, right. Mm -hmm. But while I'm on stage, it's not empty at all. It's full. Um, and so full and fertile that it, it's it's real to me. So as the performer, I can't be Rukmini. I can't be me. Yeah. The skill allows me mm -hmm. to let go of this. And and this has come with years of practice, right? Years of practice, years of observation and talking to yourself about why this is important to you. A lot of rationalization to yourself as well. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of a lot of practice first on the technique itself. Mm -hmm. Um I think that's one of the enabling factors. Mm -hmm. Second is um believing in my imagination, I think, like um like completely submitting to that world and allowing it. Third thing is mainly letting go of Rukmini because the the moment you think of how people will see you, how they will judge you, is this right, is this wrong, the rightness and wrongness, and all these are encumbering factors, mm -hmm. especially when you're in an imaginary sphere. Because the rightness and wrongness applies only for your individual persona outside of this And it's stage. very subjective, no? Yeah. Yeah. Very, very judgmental and subjective. So it's weighted by your own life. It's weighted by, by me. So, but when I'm a character on stage, I'm not weighted. I actually wrote about this. Um, I I wrote a book over mm -hmm. COVID. Okay. Where can one get this book of yours? It's on Amazon. It's called Finding Shiva. Finding Shiva by Rukmini Vijay Kumar. Available on Amazon and. I'm going to be getting a copy and reading that book of yours. It's it's about this entire separation and the weightlessness with yeah. which one can live life. So, you know, um, your association with your performance, your ability to de-link and separate the person that you are to the dancer that you are, to the choreographer that you are, is is really beautiful. It's been very, very enriching. I have been very immersed in this conversation with you. In fact, I don't know if you realized, I myself didn't realize, but I was vividly imagining your world the way you were describing it. And if you can have this impact with me in such a short conversation, I am just imagining, and that's the word I will use, I'm just imagining or visualizing the fabulous impact you're going to have when you are up there on stage on those hundreds and thousands of people who come and watch your performances, right? As a parting shot, Rukmini, what would you like to say to people, young people, people who have great passions but are very contemplative 
whether they should go ahead, not go ahead. What would you like to say to them? I think when you take up your passion or like take up something that you think that you believe that you really love, you have to have an analytical mind as well. It's not just about throwing yourself into something because you like it. And I was thinking about this a few days ago. There are three things that contribute um, to anything in uh, one's, um, if you want to call it success or one's um, ability to move forward in any field. And I think one aspect is talent. The second is hard work and dedication. Mm -hmm. And the third one is the facility that you have, like the support system. Many people, if you have a great support system and a decent amount of talent, you'll still move forward with very little hard work. Mm -hmm. If you have no support system, you have great talent and a lot of hard work, you will move forward and it, it'll eventually be fine. It's going to be hard, but you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. If you have a small amount of talent, a lot of hard work and a marginal support system, you'll be fine. When I say support system, I mean like your surroundings, facility. your parents, facility, opportunity. Opportunity, not in terms of, because when you say opportunity in the arts, they think to perform, no. Mm -hmm. I mean opportunity to learn. Like, do you have a teacher near you who's willing to teach mm -hmm. you? Do you have the financial ability to go to class? Um, are your parents willing to drop you in class and bring you back? You know, things like that. That's what I mean by facility. If you have facility and you have a lot of talent and zero hard work, you'll never go anywhere. Right. You have no talent. You have a lot of hard work and you have facility, you're still going to no, not go anywhere. Mm -hmm. We need some of all three for it to happen. But if you have all the talent in the world and all the facility and no hard work, mm -hmm. nothing's going to happen. So it, it's, it's important to analyze and see for yourself where you are lacking and where you need to make it up. I think... I might have been decently talented, but I'm a very, very hard worker. Mm -hmm. And I have a good support system. So that's what worked for me. And this holy trinity automatically paves way to greater opportunities, to greater platforms, and to a large extent redefines our purpose. Definitely. Yeah. And and the absence of any one of these factors tends to limit our performance, limit our passion, and in turn, limit the impact we can have on the world. Certainly. Right? Yeah. So it's a pleasure talking to you, Rukmini. Listeners, I really feel bad that we have to close this conversation. It has been such a pleasure talking to Rukmini, traversing through her beautiful world. And what I have picked up as a learning for myself today in this conversation is uh, control or the sense of control is a very superfluous um, ammunition piece that we think we have. And 
her journey has taught me that there're going to be a lot of things that happen wrong a lot of things that go out of plan and may not look perfect our ability to discern and differentiate that and regain control or regain a sense of sanity about what we can do in that moment of chaos gives us the freedom to be the best version of ourselves so irrespective of any profession that you are in or irrespective of any role that you are playing the most important thing is to keep recalibrating regaining and accomplishing a sense of being in the here and now thank you so much rukmini thank i'm you, sure Chandi. we have so much more to talk and i'd love to have you back here again and learn a lot more about your sense of liberation and your ability to do so much more in this world and to the performances that you choreograph and perform thank you so much janavi it's without, been a pleasure without being here without these shackles and without these um yeah without these um what do you call without this um i'm not able to get the word but weight. the word is yeah the weight the weight and the obligations that we carry to fit into the realm of somebody else's expectations yeah i think it's Thanks just this said. yeah it's this freedom that you are actually exhibiting over here that's very contagious thank you so much absolutely thanks for having me absolute pleasure so listeners as the popular saying goes all good things must come to an end we are coming to the close of this episode of clarity and i truly hope that you found our discussion with rukmini vijay kumar on the topic the rhythm of success enlightening and thought provoking she mentioned a very important thing let go and enjoy the moment this is very very important the lightness from validation of others is what truly impacted her performance and truly impacts her sense of being and fulfillment remember success is just not about achieving external milestones but it's also about finding fulfillment and joy in the pursuit of our passion and our identity stay tuned for more heartfelt conversations with real people and real stories in our future episodes until then keep embracing your own rhythm of success this is janvi gurjar signing off from clarity don't forget to look us up on www.vitalscienceconsults.com our instagram page vital science consults and on linkedin vital science consults until next time take care be good and enjoy life